right, good morning again, everybody. This morning we're continuing our study through the letter of Galatians in our sermon series titled Stay the Course. So if your Bible with you this morning or your cell phone, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and we're going to be in verses 11 through 24. If you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 972. 972. And as always here at Park, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. We are so glad that you came to worship with us today. Or if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take one, give it to them and go sit down and read it together with them. Go through the Gospel of John where Jesus is lifted up so they may have faith to believe as well. Now as we get going, what is foundational for us to remember is the purpose for which Paul is writing. He's responding to reports that the Galatian churches are being falsely led to believe that salvation doesn't come by trusting in Jesus alone, but also by obeying the law of Moses and receiving circumcision, which Phil made clear last week is no good news at all, because if you believe that, that can forever separate you from God. That's bad news, but the good news is that our redemption has been accomplished solely by Jesus alone. Plus or minus nothing else. And that's why Paul, if you read Galatians, he seems so salty in his letter because he loves people. And he especially loves the gospel, which is being assaulted by these false teachers, teachers who are seeking to steer the Galatians away from the curse remover. And so in our passage this morning, he defends his authority as an apostle. And continues to push back hard on the claims being made against him that he preaches a truncated message by sharing the power of the gospel in his own story. And so I titled my message today, Let Me Tell You Something. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Which you also will see on the screen above me. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter. Cephas is his Aramaic name. And remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. And he takes a vow here, an oath. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. That's how it went down. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you now that we've come before you and your word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the soul and spirit and joint and marrow, for it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Father, thank you that your word slices us open. Thank you that it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it encourages us so that we can stay the course with the gospel. And by your spirit, I ask that you'd have your way in us this morning, that we'd be electrified once again by the grace of God in our own lives and the power together of our testimony that's in Christ, in Christ alone. May he be exalted, I pray. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, this morning I want us to participate a little bit uh, during the message to remind us that during the preaching moment in the service, service, this isn't merely about the person standing on the stage, but this is something that we all participate in together. This is how we worship together by not only proclaiming the word, but also by receiving the word. And so whenever I say, let me tell you something, I want you to respond with, what's that? Let's practice. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Oh, this is strong. This is going to be good. Let me tell you something. Wow, you're still there. Let me tell you something. The gospel is not man's news about God. It's God's good news for man. And this is what Paul's laying down from the get-go in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, this is a family conversation you see, that I've heard some gossip has been spreading throughout your congregations as to where my message originated from. And some seeds of doubt have been planted among you by the Judaizers as to how I can speak with authority and setting aside the law of Moses and still you could be righteous before God. And so I just want to tell you again, the message I proclaimed to you when I planted your churches and when your lives were transformed and changed, it wasn't man's gospel. This wasn't a tradition that was passed down to me. Grandpa and grandma weren't Methodists and that was passed down to mom and dad, so now I must be a Methodist too. I didn't learn it at Moody Bible Institute. I didn't learn it through the normal channels of learning. I didn't hear the gospel being preached up on stage and I came up to an altar call. No, that wasn't it at all. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And this takes us back to a few weeks ago when Jamie kicked us off in his introduction when Paul was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and then he got rocked when Christ revealed himself to him. And this is what we really want to get here. This is the turn for Paul. It's where Paul, for the very first time, saw Jesus not as a threat to his boastful law-keeping and self-achieving righteousness, but rather saw him as the resurrected fulfiller of his now-purchased and blood-soaked righteousness. What a moment that was. Yet Paul's conversion, if you think about it, it should unsettle some folks. Why is that? 
Because what we see with Paul is that not only does the gospel call us out of irreligion, but it calls us out of religion. The good old boys are in the same sinking ship as the bad guys. And let me tell you something. Paul was as good as it gets. He continues his story in verse 13. Listen, y'all, you heard about my former life. You know what I used to be. I shared with you what I was before I placed my trust in Christ. Remember that? Look at his self-description. He persecuted the church of God violently and he tried to destroy it. Literally, he was hell-bent, if you were to kind of dig into this a little bit, he was hell-bent on burning it down like someone would do to a city when they came and conquered it. His chief motivation in life was to keep his religion pure and his life pious. Dangerous doesn't even begin to describe the apostle Paul in his previous life, but religious terrorist does. We're talking Osama bin Laden here. We're talking Timothy McVeigh. We're talking ISIS beheading Christians. And we're talking about a pathetic and disgustingly racist member of the KKK. All of those motivated by a misled religious ideology. And the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle, was top gun. He was advancing in his religion above his peers. He even gets a little Yoda on us with his language at the beginning of verse 14. You know, Yoda, the Jedi master of Star Wars, how he puts personal pronouns in weird places. So extremely zealous was I. For the traditions of my fathers. He was a savage and he was a fanatic. And apart from the work of grace in his life, no one was going to change his mind. And so the question comes, why is Paul's testimony about his former life and encounter with Christ so important for his exclusive claim on the gospel? That there's only one gospel. There's only one good news that saves It's very simple. One, he received it from Christ himself, for there is no other greater authority to receive authority from. Where would you receive the message from, Paul? How would you learn it? From Jesus. Not any other rabbis. How can you say that Jesus is the only way? Well, because he said. I got it straight from his mouth. Number two, Paul was the most unlikely of candidates. Paul used to be one of those guys that are in the Galatians' ear now telling that the way to be righteous before God was by obeying all the law of Moses. Paul had already been there and done that and he bought the t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? In Philippians chapter 3, he gives his credentials. He drops his list. Of his self-achieving righteousness, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As far as zeal goes, I was persecuting the church. 
And as far as legalistic righteousness goes, he says he was faultless. He could do the Judaizers game better than they could. But he was seriously misled. Because he missed Christ in all of that. And all what that pointed forward to. And we're going to unpack that a little further as we get along in the letter. So I don't want to steal Phil or Jamie's thunder. Make note of that, guys, okay? But let's go back and let's briefly talk about the gospel not being man's creation. That it's not man's news about God. Because, frankly, if this was all man's set up, there would be no trouble in it. I mean, just think about it. We would have no trouble in it if we made up some good news, but we do have trouble, don't we? We have trouble with ourselves, and we also have trouble with God. I don't want to beat anybody over the head here, but we've got to be reminded of our need for the gospel constantly. We have not only disobeyed his direction, but we often create our own past. We have all called evil good and good evil. We've all went astray. We've all stiff-armed God. And apart from Christ, we were all dead in our sin, unable to respond spiritually to God reaching out to us. And then under the threat of his judgment. And unable having the inability to raise ourselves up out of that condition. That's Romans, that's Ephesians, that's Isaiah. And so then the response to that is that apart from the work of grace, what we do is that we either deny that reality or We try to achieve righteousness on our own. And it's very, very subtle. And boy, I'm going to pick on us Westerners, do we love to achieve. We count ourselves good to keep a law. Or maybe perform a ritual. Or maybe attain a certain level of consciousness or donate clothes to the homeless shelter. We love to build our towers of Babel in order to reach up to God. But for those of us who are clinging to the gospel, know that it was God who had to come down to us. And further, when man makes this thing up, man's news about God always results in bad news. And this just plays out in history with peoples and with individuals. The distinctive features of achieving self and a self-attained righteousness are no less than what follows. We exalt ourselves above others. We power up over others. We segregate ourselves from others. Paul's going to get after that in chapter 2. Or like Paul even killing others. You might not see that stuff right away, but those things always end up showing up. 
And in all you're trying to achieve, you never quite get there. It's just so difficult trying to achieve righteousness on your own. Because, you know what, let's say you try to change a behavior. And then, okay, cool, man, I I got that down. For a couple months here, I'm not doing that thing anymore. But then all of a sudden, you got these bad thoughts. Then you're like, oh, man, what do I do with that? I got these bad thoughts now. Like, I shouldn't have thought that or this. Then, okay, maybe he he had a good day. He didn't have a bad thought. But then all of a sudden, you realize, man, my motivations are even messed up. I don't even, why do I do that or why am I doing this or that? And you realize the whole thing is just difficult to do. It's like trying to keep the house clean with three kids. <laughs> Lindsay and I have not figured that out yet. You pick up one toy in one room, and then five more show up in another. It's never ending. It's a lot of times exhausting, and then it even can be painful, right? That stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night thing is very true. It's just so difficult. You, you can't do it. It's like fighting the Greek mythological swamp snake Hydra. Do you know who I'm talking about? That nasty snake. He's just... I hate snakes. You know, they're just so gross. But it's a big giant swamp snake, right? And you come and chop off its head and then all of a sudden two more pop up. And you realize that you're in worse trouble than when you thought you were. That's how it is when you're trying to achieve self-righteousness on your own. You can't get there. You can't get there. That's what's so glorious about the gospel. That's why it's such good news. It gets you there. And it keeps you there. So what's the answer to all this? Well, it's Paul's wonderful conjunction at the beginning of verse 15. Let me tell you something. Right in the midst of his self-achieving and self-righteous savagery, right in the midst of such terribleness, God closed in. So much for having to clean yourself up before you got to come to God. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born. This language draws from the Old Testament when prophets like Jeremiah were called and set apart for ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Friends, the good news is is not man's news because God has already worked this thing out before you were even conceived. And who called me by his grace. And again, this is language of the... The Old Testament people of God. God began working this thing out. And he said to Abram, go to the land that I will show you. He called his people, Israel, to be a light to the surrounding nations around him. 
And God not only had a plan, but he had a specific point in time for his calling us to himself. Some have been called by God as a young child who grew up in a Christian home. I pray that for my kids almost on a daily basis. That they would not have some story that we're about to get to talk about. That they would know Jesus. They would grow up in a, in a home that treasures Christ above all. Some have been called in college or some in older age. Some have been called in right in the middle of the party or right in the midst of persecuting the church. Yet even though that we've been called in different places of life, one thing can be certain that we all share. We've all been called by his grace. It's all of grace. This unmerited approval which overcame our resistance to him. And we all had our resistances. Don't you ever, ever forget for it is by grace you're saved. No cockiness or arrogance allowed. Look at verse 16. It gets even better. God was pleased to do it. He took great delight in revealing to Paul and to us that Jesus is the king and that he's the redeemer. When we were sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for a cross. And it pleased God to do it. How can you not sing Oh, what wondrous love is this, oh, my soul. Do you sense the smile of God this morning? I hope you do. The gospel is revealed by God, it's received through Christ, and it redirects your life. God was pleased to reveal Christ to Paul in order that, everyone say, in order that. There's a job for us to do that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? They're everybody who isn't a Jew. In other words, Paul, your job is to go tell everyone everywhere about who Christ is and what he has done. Paul, the killer and self-reliant achiever, received grace and mercy and then was sent out on mission. What do you do with that? Well, I know one thing you do. You do what Paul did. You go and tell about the grace you received, which overcame your resistance to the gospel. Now, some of you might say, Jay, I don't even come close to having a dramatic story like that. Who would want to hear my story? And I get it. And I... Totally sympathize with that, but you've missed the point. I mean, who can be the Apostle Paul for crying out loud? You may not have been a religious terrorist. You may have not walked around licking the earth of all of its guilty pleasures. You may not have had a drama-filled past before Christ, but you have something to share. 
Not everyone can connect with a Paul or an ex-drug user or scoundrel, but they can connect with you, and you are exactly who God wants to use with the people around you who don't know Christ now. You're it. You're it at your office. You're it at your school. You're it. What do you think it is? That same grace that Paul had is just powerfully working in you as it was in him. Same grace. You got to share that. Are you delighting in it? Do you remember it? Do you know it? Further. Okay, so maybe you don't have a dramatic past, but do you have a dramatic present? What do you mean? Let's just get real and raw. Because the whole faking and fronting stuff, that don't help nobody. You know what I'm saying? In contrast to those around you who don't know Christ, how are you spending your time? I mean, seriously. Write these questions down if you have to and go home and talk to your husband or your wife or your, your best friend or your roommate. Someone who knows you the best. How are you ordering your life? What are you seeing as the purpose for your work? Is it just to like move up and be like, man, I kind of made it up there, or to get a lot of money, or to buy more stuff. Yay, man. That's exciting. Wow, you got a whole lot of money and a whole lot of stuff. Way to go. How do you manage your money? I know we all got work to do in this. I'm just putting out things that matter, right? How do you manage your money? Is the kingdom number one on your list? Listen, if someone secretly took a video of a day in the life of, put your name in the blank, what would they conclude that you're living for? Dear friends, you don't have to have a radical testimony to have a radical life. And I'm not talking about drawing attention to yourself with fireworks or some sort of sensationalism like, oh, look at me, man. I'm like just trying to be in poverty. The world's got plenty of all that stuff, right? And they can do it much better, frankly, right? They can draw all sorts of attention to themselves much better. They put on a much better show. No, what I'm talking about in following Christ is I'm talking about following him in our daily decisions, day in and day out, always seeking to deny ourselves for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. That's taking a hold of the life which is truly life. You don't need to have a dramatic backstory to turn heads and shock the world. You can simply live with a different kingdom in mind. 
and folks are just going to be like, what is up with that guy? And so many of you are doing it. Man, I get glimpses of it. I am so humbled and so encouraged by you and to be a part of this church family. You guys, man, I just speak for Lindsay and myself. A lot of times, you know, we get a lot of more credit than we really deserve. It's really kind of, we just don't even like it because we know the truth. You guys are incredibly encouraging. And just encourage us to lay things down for Christ constantly. Because of how you're living, it's so awesome. Your generosity. You're seeking to engage the community. Your care for one another. Your love for God's word and prayer. It's so clear to me that many of you are living for something more than weekend getaways every other week. And the bears and bigger, better and faster. You are living wisely. And you're shining brightly. But I confess... that I have an ache in my heart for others of you. I just feel this burden. And I don't know if it's what pastors have, what God gives to bring things to attention. Because if the secret video is played in public for some of you, I'm afraid that we'd all see that your life isn't really different than anybody else. those that don't know Christ around you. And I'm not talking about good outward behavior, not cheating on your taxes. What I'm talking about this morning is I'm talking about your affections. I'm talking about your heart. Because what you treasure in your heart That's what's showing up in your life. And I know some of you are squirming right now below the surface. That's a good thing. Don't run from it. Own it. Humble yourself. And turn to the guilt remover and the abundant life giver. Don't you be fooled in thinking that you can live a better life and have greater joy than becoming a new creation in Christ. Don't you believe that lie for a minute. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and that he gives you drink from his river of delight. He replenishes you. He rejuvenates you. He refreshes you. And for some of you, he can redeem you. You read the Psalms like that? (laughs) That's so awesome. This relationship that the psalmist has with God, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He just comes out with it. You got to taste and see. We're almost done. 
For the rest of our passage in verses 17 through 24, Paul's rehearsing back to the Galatians his activity after his conversion. And again, this is important because he wants to reinforce his his independence as a gospel, that he was commissioned and sent out by Jesus. And also that his ministry has been affirmed by the players, so to speak. He shows his independence in that after his encounter with Christ, Paul didn't consult anyone about his message. He didn't concoct a message by taking bits and pieces from different rabbis and putting it together, even the disciples for that matter. He got his message from Jesus and he went immediately east into Arabia, which he kind of can put these places on the map above me. And he went to Arabia for about three years, no doubt a time of study, no, time he, no doubt he was digging into the Old Testament scriptures and seeing how everything pointed to Jesus and there's evidence that he was sharing the gospel there. He then later went and did a little bit more ministry in Syria and Cilicia, areas northeast of the Mediterranean where his hometown of Tarsus was. And his conversion was the shot heard round the world in Judea. The persecutor became the preacher. What a 180. Thanos joined the Avengers. May we have a reputation like that. When you used to be so tight with your money that you squeaked, but now you're known as being generous. You love to give away. Anytime there's a need, you're in, no matter what. Even if you got to figure it out or you don't have to get Starbucks for a week. You like figure it out, okay, we got to meet that need. You used to be so arrogant in your thoughts and words towards others, but now you say, I'm the chief of sinners here. You used to have no control of your lustful gazes, but now you turn your head away. And you know by experience that the pure in heart shall see God. You used to want to draw all the attention to yourself and cringed when you weren't recognized for contributing to the big event. But now you're so grateful that now others can share in the honor because you remember that whatever is done in secret will surely be rewarded. And you used to be a low-down, dirty, smug, and self-righteous achiever. But now you've been overcome by the one who achieved salvation on your behalf. He lived a perfect life of obedience and worship unto God, who died as an atonement to cover your sin, and who defeated death by taking it on, and he raised up out of it, and who is now reigning in heaven, and as a people who are called the church, who are spreading not man's news about God, but God's good news for man, so that the whole world can be a part of his kingdom too. Let me tell you something. We've now reached the climax of our text in verse 24. We used to be, we used to be, we used to be, but when grace showed up and showed out, the only appropriate outcome was that God got the glory. And they praised God because of me. Stay the course. 
keep holding on to the gospel. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2 in a few weeks. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word this morning and the testimony of Paul in our lives as well. We all got a story, and we're so grateful for the grace that you've given us in Christ. May you overcome any indifference that diminishes our treasuring of the gospel. May time not diminish our treasuring of the gospel. May we not think that we, when we gather here together on Sunday mornings and seek to live for you all throughout the week, that this is just kind of something that's just la-di-da. But may we rejoice in the glories of the gospel more and more. And may we encourage one another to do the same. And Father, if there are those in this room this morning who are not on the course, may you grant faith to believe now. May they see Christ as the King and the Redeemer and our future hope and our great treasure. It's in his name we pray. Amen.